Everybody, happy Father's Day. Is anybody doing at least halfway decent in church this morning? Awesome. Wow. Go ahead and pull out your Bibles, pull out your notes. Who's, uh, who's first time, who's, what am I trying to say? <laughs> I'm glad you raised your hands. We love you. For whatever, whatever reason you're raising your hand. First time here since quarantine is what I'm trying to say. First time back in church since quarantine. Anybody? Handful of you, welcome back. Welcome back to the party. We are so glad to be back in church together. Everybody online, so glad you're here too. Give a shout out to everybody sitting at home in their beds. We're not going to say boo. We're going to say welcome to church. You got to pull out your Bibles, open up to the book of 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy, Bibles and notes. Make sure you take out something you can take notes with. We are a note-taking church. It doesn't get you into heaven, but it will keep you paying attention at church, right? 2 Timothy, head that direction. Last week we started a series. We're going to be in 2 Timothy here for a couple of weeks. Last week, this week, and next week. And uh, over the last several months, if you haven't been with us, we've been talking a lot about the Bible. Not just being taught out of the Bible, but talking about the Bible. How do we understand the Bible? How do we uh, read through the different parts of it? How do we experience the Bible? How do we learn from the Bible? Has anybody been blessed since March we started talking about the Bible? Um, it's okay, you can say yes, because I haven't preached all the messages. You can be blessed by the messages from my dad. They've been good. At least we know that. Happy Father's Day, Dad. Anybody thankful for Father Steve in the house? <laughs> Not just my dad, but a father in this house for sure. We, uh, over these last few months now, we have made it to the New Testament here in 2 Timothy. So if you're wondering where 2 Timothy is, there's a hint. New Testament. It's like, oh, nice. Okay, back. Here we go. Originally, 2 Timothy was written as a letter by a leader named Paul, who had been around the continent and kind of the world that he knew of at the time, catalyzing the church, making disciples, and God would end up using him to write about half of the New Testament as God would breathe on the words that he was penning to churches and to leaders as he was helping the first people to follow Jesus around the world. He wrote most of his letters to churches that he had started, but this letter in particular is not a letter to a church. This is a letter to a person, a letter to a pastor, a pastor named Timothy. And Timothy is not just a pastor or a friend. He is, as Paul says, his beloved son, not a natural son, but his spiritual son. On Father's Day, how many of you know we don't just have natural sons and daughters? We need spiritual fathers this is Paul passing the baton of leadership after running as far as he possibly could for about 30 years, moving the gospel forward on the earth. This is the last letter that we have that Paul wrote. It's his parting words to his successor, to his protege, to his beloved son. And so we're going to read a few verses here out of 2 Timothy chapter 2. And uh, hashtag new normal post-quarantine. We are standing for the reading of the word of God Go ahead and stand up. 2 Timothy chapter 2, if you're there, say, I'm there. Yeah. Starting in verse 1. You then, my child, happy Father's Day. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust the faithful men who will be able to teach others also. We don't just need men, we need faithful men. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. We don't need lazy men. We need good soldiers. 
No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuit since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. We don't need distracted men. We need focused men. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. We don't need unruly men. We need men with integrity, men with character. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. We don't need men sitting back waiting for somebody else to do it. We need hardworking men. Think over what I say. We don't need men checked out. We need engaged men thinking over the word of God. For the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We don't need complacent men. We need hungry men. I need more of God. I need to understand more of God. I need to follow more of God. I need to know more of God. Are we in church or are we just doing a funeral today? 2 Timothy 2, 1 through 7. Everybody said amen. amen. Go ahead and stay standing for the prayer. This, I know, it's new for us. It's all right. I'm going to pray for us as we get going this morning. Jesus, we love you. We love you so much, and we thank you for this moment. We thank you for your word as we open it and read it. Pray that we would not just read it, but we would consume it and digest it, that we would get the nutrients out of it by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. We present ourselves to you right now, willing to be shaped and changed, moved, shaken, instructed, taught. We must hear from you, Lord. We've got to hear from you, Jesus. And Lord, we thank you on this Father's Day for this note that you have given us. A father to his son, not just from Paul to Timothy, but from you to us, your children. We receive your word right now. We receive your word right now going to pray for the men when we get started. Why not? If you're around a man and you're comfortable with it, just put a hand on his shoulder. Jesus, we thank you for the men in this room. We bless them in Jesus' name. We call them out as fathers and leaders in our lives and in the city and in their spheres of influence and in this world. Lord, we need these men. We pray the power of the Holy Spirit right now in Jesus' name. Call them out. Lord, today uh, we just specifically I put myself and, and all of the others of us men in the room, God, we got to have you right now. Right now, right now, right now. We've got to have more of you, Lord. <laughs> Speak to us this morning as sons. Discipline us this morning as sons. Teach us, instruct us, lead us, encourage us this morning as sons that we might become fathers. Fathers to our children, fathers to the world. We bless you. We expect this and so much more from you this morning, Holy Spirit, as it is not, is what is on, that is what on, heart, on our hearts, it is what is on your heart this morning. Everybody said, amen. 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 Go ahead and take a seat. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 2. Want to share a message with you this morning? You got your notes out? Last week we shared a message, Jesus is King. My wife was here last week. We shared a message titled, Jesus is King. This week, I want to share a message with you this morning. You've been hearing a lot of things in your life recently about whose life matters. You've been hearing people fighting to be heard that their life matters. You've been hearing people fighting over, is that good enough? Is that the words we're going to use? 
And on this Father's Day, I want you men to hear, you fathers to hear. And on this amazing Sunday, I want every one of you to hear the title for this message, Your Life Matters. Your life matters. Look at somebody and say, your life matters. Your life matters. We are spending these three weeks uh, not just learning from the themes of 2 Timothy as we briefly go through this short book in the Bible, but we are noticing as we discussed last week that the themes of 2 Timothy are the themes of really each book of the New Testament and the New Testament as a whole. Every book in the New Testament as a whole says what it says in its own unique way, but there are these common themes that God speaks to us through the New Testament. And we discussed this. This makes a lot of sense because the New Testament was written at a time where people were trying to navigate life in this new found way of life following Jesus. And the New Testament was largely written to help these new believers stay focused in a world full of shiny objects, to stay focused in a world full of things to think about, full of concerns to be concerned about, full of things to give yourself to stay focused. And the New Testament doesn't only tell a story, but it does tell a story of these first generation people following Jesus after his life and death and resurrection, trying to answer this basic but incredibly deep question that you and I are asking ourselves and each other this morning, how do I really follow Jesus? How do I actually follow Jesus? I believe in Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. But now how do I follow Jesus? Believing is just the beginning, amen? How do I actually follow Jesus? I did a wedding yesterday, last, last night. Lauren Streeter and Wes Malusik. Well, Lauren and Wes Malusik now. He plays drums for us. Lauren brought the tambourine a few weeks ago. You know it. We love Wes and Lauren. Got to do their wedding last night. So encouraging, so fun. They're just the best. And uh, it was awesome. It was so great. And uh, it was great because they're great. And it was great because weddings are great. You know, wed weddings are awesome. But, but all the wedding shows is that the two of you know how to get married. Am I right? The next question the two of you have to tackle is, how do we be married? And it's like that following Jesus. How do I live this out? How does this change me now? How does this shape me now? How does this define me now? If you've given your life to Jesus but then felt like the questions just started, you're doing it right. Last week we talked about our first theme. Somebody shout with me like you believe it. Jesus is king. He is not just my homeboy or my president or my guru or my accessory. Jesus is my king. First theme of the New Testament and of 2 Timothy. Jesus is my king. What he says goes. The way he says things are, that is the way that they are. He loves me. He knows me. He has called me. And he commands me. He directs me. He defines me. He instructs me. He corrects me. He rules me. Jesus is my king, and I submit my whole self to the rule and reign of this king in my life. And now we have found ourselves all the way in 2 Timothy chapter 2. This is now the second, the second theme that I want to hit on in 2 Timothy. The second theme common to the entire New Testament. The second theme of your Christian life. If we want to do what we're called to do. This second theme that we must continue to be reminded of. That we need to believe. That we need to live in response to. Write it down if you haven't already. Your life 
matters. Your life matters. How sad would it be to get your driver's license but never drive anywhere? How sad would it be to get the right medicine but never take it? How sad would it be to get married and never move in together? How sad would it be to get the fresh cup of water you need so badly and never drink it? How bad would it be to take that breath that you've so desperately been needing but never give it to anyone else around you? How sad would it be? How sad would it be to be forgiven and never forgive? How sad would it be to be healed but not choose to restore others? How sad would it be, church, to be restored but not give your life to restore others? How sad would it be to be reconciled to God but not see to it that others are reconciled as well? How sad would it be to be set free and continue to choose your chains? How sad would it be? To be born again, but never grow up. How sad would it be, church, to be filled with the Spirit of God, but never walk in the power of God. How sad would it be to be given a brand new life and never live it. Your life matters. Both First and Second Timothy were written in large part to correct bad doctrine that had been coming into this church that Timothy was pastoring. Just want to give a little side note to help us read the Bible. It is a mess. Somehow along the way, we've gotten this assumption that like back in the day, they just had church figured out and it was perfectly normal and like not weird and everybody liked each other all the time and like church was clean and all of these sort of things. But if you actually read this thing and then you look around at your life, you'll be like, ah. I mean, my life's not perfect, but it's not that bad (laughs) for the most part, which is encouraging. Sometimes I think, you know, when you, you, know, when you, you live that Instagram life, that's what I'm trying to talk about. Because sometimes we read the Bible like we look at Instagram. We look at everybody else's Instagram thinking they got it all figured out. And I can't even barely but keep my head above water. And here's everybody else running around on their vacations with their perfectly clean kids with brushed teeth. Here they are with these jobs that they love. Living their dream at 26 and a half. Come on, somebody. And you look in the mirror like, where are you, bro? Like, what's going on with you? Sometimes we read the Bible like it's Instagram. Like, man, everybody else just had it figured out. It was just amazing. It was all highlight reel all the time. No, no, no. No, no, my friend. Be encouraged. Be of good cheer, my brothers and sisters. The New Testament was written through people, for that current generation, but by God for every single one of us for the rest of time because we keep needing help. (laughs) Every single thing written in the New Testament is a correction. (laughs) It is a course correction, and so I just want to be encouraged. 
this morning. First and Second Timothy were written for this reason, to correct some things that had been creeping into church. You ever had anything creep into church? It's a good word for it, isn't it? <laughs> Sometimes something creeps into your life. Like, I don't know when you got here. <laughs> and God needs to remind his church sometimes of good doctrine, of, of right beliefs, of correct perspectives, of proper understanding. God needs to correct sometimes. And this, what we read this morning, is a warning against a doctrine that has crept into the church, a doctrine that tells you that it is this grace of God, that by this grace of God, you are now able to be weak. That you are weak now by the grace of God. That the grace of God makes you weak. The grace of God should make you stagnant. The grace of God makes you wishy-washy. The grace of God makes you irresponsible. The grace of God makes you lazy. It's bad doctrine. He starts off, you then, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He says, no, no, we're going to correct some doctrine here. This grace doesn't make you lazy. This grace ought to strengthen you because there's work to be done. You then, my child. You then, my child. Imagine my dad talking to me like that when I was a teenager, walking in the room and saying, you then, my child. It's like, oh, I'm getting corrected. <laughs> Whatever's about to come. And that's, I love how 2 Timothy starts right there. You then, my child, be strengthened. I want to tell you, church, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. The new has come. You have a life to live, and the way now that you live that life matters. The way you live your life matters. 2 Timothy 2 starts off chapter 1. You then, my child. You then, my child. Pastor Paul, Apostle Paul, powerful man, Paul, superhero Paul, takes on the role of a father. He does not lean on any of these other things when he really wants to make his final point, get his last words across to his beloved son. He doesn't speak to him as his protege. He doesn't speak to him as his successor. He speaks to him as his child. He says, you then, my child, we need fathers. We need fathers. The world needs fathers. The church needs fathers. We need fathers. We don't just need leaders in our lives. We need fathers. We don't just need teachers in our lives. We need fathers. Man, I want to challenge you this morning. Set your aim on becoming a father. Anybody can become a leader. Anybody can become a teacher. We need you to become a father. In our culture, we have too few fathers. Too few fathers, both in the house and in the church. Too few fathers. We need more fathers. So to the fathers in the room, at least you're trying. <laughs> I want to encourage you this morning. Any father in the room who is wildly aware that you are not perfect. At least you're around. You're trying. You're learning. You're working. You're growing. We honor you this morning. Way to go, fathers. Way to go, fathers. If you're anything like me, you don't need anybody standing up here and making sure you know that you're not doing it perfectly. What you could really use is somebody standing up there and saying, you know what? It's not perfect, but you're doing better than you think. I want to encourage you this morning. You are doing better than you think. Yes, for sure. You could be better, but you could also be way worse. Amen, somebody. So let's, I just want to challenge you. You just keep heading towards better. 
Just keep heading towards better and you're on the right track. Just keep heading towards better. You're doing better than you think. Keep heading towards better. You've come farther than you think. Keep heading towards better this morning. Keep heading towards better, fathers. We need you. We need you. Come on, somebody say amen to the fact that we need these fathers. We are living in a world where fathers are much too few. And so it leads us to church where we teach about God our Father. Our Father God who gives us the spirit of adoption as children. And we rightly teach some amazing things about the Father God that we have. The Father heart of God. This Father who has adopted us as His children. He is our Father who embraces you at the delivery bed. He just loves you because He loves you. He loves you because He loves you. He holds you close because He loves you and He cares for you unconditionally. This is our Father. We rightly teach about our Father God who will change your diapers. He's not scared of your mess. He'll get his hands dirty. He's not scared off by you and your stank. He doesn't overreact about the spills that you've made in your life. He is a good Father. We rightly teach about our Father God with an overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love who chases you down, fights till you're found, and leaves the 99. Should we get it up here? Come on, where's somebody? We rightly teach this about our Father God who is a good, good Father. He is a good, good father. He is all of that. He is more than that. All of this is true, more true than we know. And, 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 and he is also the father who is present in your life along the way to teach you who you are when you don't know who you are. He is the father present in your life to train you. Train you up to be who you are called to be, to shape you along the way so that you don't ruin your life, wasting it on all kinds of things that are trying to steal from you and kill you and destroy you. You then, my child, he is fathering you. He is guiding you. He is disciplining you. Your father loves you enough to receive you and you must hear this morning, happy Father's Day, he loves you too much not to raise you. You then, my child. Man, I want you to hear something on Father's Day. Your life matters. Your life matters. Your presence matters. Your investment matters. Your love matters. Your training matters. Your instruction matters. Your initiative matters. Your ability to put identity on your children and the people around you matters. Your ability to step in and show what character means, it matters. Your steadfastness matters. Your masculinity given to you by God, it matters. Your life matters, men. Your life matters. You then, my child, be strengthened. Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strengthened. This word strengthened shows me that Paul knows that he is writing to his son, but he is writing to his mature son. And I believe that God is speaking this to a church that he wants to mature. He needs us to mature. He no longer, we, know, uh, we know that Timothy now no longer needs to be coddled as the toddler that he once was. He has grown into a man. And he needs to be directed not coddled anymore. He needs to be instructed. He needs to be strengthened. He is no longer just a toddler. He has become a man. Be strengthened by this grace. Can I challenge you, church? Be strengthened. Be strengthened. Your life matters, and this life isn't a game. This grace 
This grace that God has given you, it is free, but it is not cheap. This grace should strengthen you. The road is narrow. The way is difficult that leads to life. Becoming a father takes one S word that's easy, but being a father takes strength. Amen, somebody. (laughs) Being a father takes strength. Be strengthened by this grace in Christ Jesus. You then, my child, be strengthened. You then, my child, I want you to hear this morning, you are a child of God. You are a child of God by this grace in Christ Jesus. You are a child of God that is no longer in question and that will never change. You don't have to fight for that anymore. And since that is settled, be strengthened. Be strengthened now by the grace that is in Christ Jesus as a mature child. And these verses go on. Verse 1, you then, my child, says so much to us. In verse 2, he goes on to explain to us what maturity looks like. What does it look like to be that child that is secure and is strengthened? Verse 2, he says, What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust of faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You know you are growing when you are giving away what God has given you. Give it away. Give it away, give it away, and not only just give it away, but give it away to people you can trust. Give your life away. Give the best that God has given you to the people who will go and do something with it, who will multiply it, who will give it to others. He says, take this and give it. It doesn't end with you. Don't let it stop with you. Give it away. Verse 3, share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Don't get entangled in civilian pursuits. Rather, let your aim to be, be to please the one who has enlisted you. What we learn right here is that an insecure child will see his work as a soldier as his gateway to becoming a son. But a secure child knows that it is his work as a soldier that is his response to being a son. Verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Don't take shortcuts. That's what maturity looks like. Don't take shortcuts. Don't take the easy way. Play according to the rules so that you can attain the prize of a life well lived. Run this race. Run this race. Maturity is not sitting on the bench. It is getting on the field and running your race. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Don't sit around waiting for others to do what is yours to do. You are a child of God. It's settled. Now be strengthened to do what has been given to you to do. Enjoy the fruit of a life that has been lived working hard for the calling that you've been given. Church, I just want to remind you this morning. I want to remind you that you are a child of God, but let me also remind you, don't forget to grow up. Don't forget to grow up. You are allowed to be an infant in the Lord. You are allowed to be a toddler in the Lord. You are allowed to be an adolescent in the Lord. You are allowed to be a young man, a young woman in the Lord. And you are allowed to be a grown man in the Lord. You are allowed to be a grown woman in the Lord. Being grown doesn't mean you're no longer a child. It just means you're no longer childish. In the rest of chapters 2 and 3, I really encourage you to read them on their own. They're painfully specific about what it looks like 
to not be a child that is continuing to grow up in the Lord. It is painfully specific if you're curious about what it looks like to be a childish child of God. (laughs) But if you could just jump with me to the end of chapter 3, I'd like to share with you a powerful key that the Word of God gives us this morning to what a powerful key for growing up in the Lord, to becoming a mature child of God. Chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That the man of God. Chapter 2, you then my child. Chapter 3, the man of God, the child that has now become complete, the child that has grown up, the child that has gone through the maturing process, the child that has been trained, the child that has been equipped, the child that has been shaped, is now a man equipped for every good work. There that word is again, every good work. Work, every good work. Now, I'm just going to just throw this out there, shoot you straight, because that's what we do around here. If you want to mature into the life that you're called to and live as a child of God, this is going to, I know it's like controversial, nobody wants to hear this, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Maybe maybe a better way to say what I really want to say is live your Bible. Live your Bible. I, I I know you came to church for something bigger than that. You're like, I risked it post-quarantine to come get around all these nasty people, and that's what you give me, Pastor. Read my Bible? Yes. Read your Bible. It's the best I can ever give you. Read your Bible. Read your Bible. I, I know you came for something better than that. It's too churchy and, you know, all that kind of stuff, but read your Bible. I mean, come on, somebody shout with me if you've begun to see the growth that comes in your life. When you live your Bible, when you wrestle with the Word of God, talk to me, somebody. When you chew on the Word of God, when you test the Word of God, when you stand on the Word of God, when you respond to the Word of God, when you fight your battles with the Word of God, when you put your trust in the Word of God, somebody testify that you've seen growth in your life. There are so many questions that we could ask about the Bible. So many questions, so many discussions people want to have about the Bible and those are great and needed and helpful conversations and we've begun to touch we've begun to touch on those even over these last couple of months. I hope that you have found them helpful, but let me tell you this morning that no matter how many good questions you have, no matter how many great conversations you want to have about the Bible and where did it come from and how do I all these sort of things, at some point you have to decide What position does this take in your life? That's the bottom line. you got to get there at some point. One of the things that's listed as childish is always talking but never arriving at the truth. Always talking. Let's have one more conversation. At some point, men, you got to make a decision and live your life. That's not just for the men, but we'll call out the men because it's Father's Day. Don't we need some men to step up, say, you know what, I don't have all the answers, but this is the way we're going. And at some point, you got to decide, what position does this have in your life? Where does your Bible live? Does it live here? Is this where your Bible lives, or does it live here? Does it live above you, or does it live beneath you? You've got to decide. And it is this decision that hits at the core of the very worldview of the culture that we are living in. 
that has moved on from God, that has rejected our need for God, that is satisfied to poke weak holes in this Bible, that balks at the notion that I might have a feeling or an inclination in my life that might not be appropriate, that has rejected the truth that I need a king. We as a human race are not basically good. Just look around. Like, we do not have a firm grasp on how to build a civilization that produces righteousness and peace and justice for all. It's not rocket science. I know, but people are like, oh, that's offensive. I'm just saying, look around. Like, when you leave us to our own devices and our own desires, we do not create positive environments for all people. Haven't done it yet. We've had a long time and a lot of chances. Jesus is king. Jesus is king. And when Jesus is king, it means I get shaped by him. He does not get shaped by me. And so we've got to approach God's word with a childlike faith, but not a childish attitude. We've got to come to the word of God. Yes, we enter into the kingdom with a childlike faith, but we do not advance the kingdom with childish behavior. Throwing a fit when it doesn't let me get my way. Fussing when it tells me not to mess with stuff that I think looks interesting. Pouting when it tells me that the way I'm doing something might not actually be the best way. You become a child of God by this grace that is in Christ Jesus. But you become a man of God. You become a woman of God by growing in this grace in Christ Jesus. 2 Timothy 3, 16-17 tells us some key things about how I know if I'm reading my Bible right. <laughs> you know you're reading it right if it's reproving you. <laughs> you know you're reading it right if it's correcting you. You know you're reading it right if it's training you, if it's stretching you, if it's making you uncomfortable, if it's making you run a little faster than you'd like to run, if it's getting you a little bit more out of breath than you'd like to be, if it's making you take some shapes you didn't know you could take. You know you're reading it right if you are reading your Bible and you realize that it is making you more complete, which means that you're not perfect right now, which means you're not perfect right now, and that's actually okay. That's actually okay. So therefore, you can approach it with appropriate humility, ready to be shaped by this word. If when you read this, you leave it every time, but also over the course of time, you leave it more equipped and ready for good work, that's when you're reading it right. When you're reading it and your father makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he loves you enough to raise you. I want us to stand and worship as we close this amazing Father's Day together and worship one more time together. We as a people love to hear the word of God, but like we always say, we've got to people, be a people who respond to the word of God. God promises us there's a blessing when we respond to the word of God. And there's no formulaic way to respond, but you know what God's speaking to you this morning. You know what he's leaning in on your heart. 
And I want you to respond to it. I don't know what that looks like for you in your chair. We're going to have some uh, people available to pray for you. We're just weird and believe that if you need prayer, you should be able to get it at church, uh, even through a mask. So we're going to have some of our prayer team off to the side. If you need prayer for anything in your life, do not leave without getting what you need. If there's anything God is stirring in you this morning, do not leave without responding to it. Move. Move your body. Move your heart. Move your mind. Make a decision right now about what it takes, what is your next step, and not just being a child of God, but being somebody who grows in God. Can we be a church that grows this morning? I'm gonna pray for us as we wrap up our time together. Jesus, we love you. And we invite you right now, Holy Spirit, speak to us as you've been doing this whole morning. Move us. I'm asking that every single one of us would be responsible enough to receive your word right now. I pray that every single one of us would be responsive enough to do something about it. Lord, you are speaking to us right now so clearly. So move us and shape us as we have these moments together before we go into our crazy and busy lives. Lord, pull us in as your children. And would you raise us and mature us in this moment. In Jesus' name.